This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Schess, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss Christian political involvement and some of the false gospels incorporated in evangelicalism. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com. We have a winner for that Banner of Truth book that we were advertising to you. If you shared our episodes, you could get a chance to win the book in their own words. And we are excited to announce uh, from Twitter, Jay Honda with the username Kippy So Mature. And I don't think that's their Christian name, but if we're going to reach, we're reaching out to them name. and letting them know that they won. Uh, our first winner came in from Instagram. This is from Twitter. So we're trying to hit, you know, everywhere. You don't know where you're going to find it. It's just going to come in from somewhere. It's po- picked randomly. Um, so everyone has an equal chance at winning it. And we can't wait for the next one. Yeah. And we loved seeing everyone share from, yeah, again, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, it was really neat to see people recommending the show and communicating that. So thanks a lot. And keep an eye out for our next book giveaway. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. We are called to give up our pursuit of the unsatisfying and short-lived pleasures of the present life, and to seek the substantial and eternal joys of the life to come. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon was preached by John Dagg in America, likely in the 1820s or 30s. Joel, eternity is something I do not like to think about. It's just kind of foreign to me. Uh, we, we humans live in the now and we can remember the past. And I don't actually like to live in the past either. Uh, and we can kind of dream about what the future will be like. But this long, never-ending thing that is determined by what we're doing and saying today, it's scary. It adds so much weight to our actions, our thoughts and our intentions. But but in a way, not talking about eternity and, and not thinking about it out of fear, I am actually kind of not taking God's word seriously. I know you, you know, I know God, you said this stuff matters for heaven and hell, but I just, I don't want to really think about it. I don't, and I don't really think you mean that is almost what you're saying. And how could I still get caught up in the worldly shallow stuff that I'm getting caught up in if I'm really taking eternity seriously? This is what John Dagg's sermon really hammers home. And I, I think it's a great point we all really need to hear. Troy, John Dagg was born in Virginia, 1794. And we do have an autobiography from John Dagg. So we can, we can peek into his inner thoughts while he was growing up and kind of see what he was thinking about. And uh, I can relate with him on this topic, but he really struggled with language studies in school. That was uh, also my Achilles heel was mm. English class or Spanish class for him. It was uh, Latin. terrible in Spanish class. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Due to his mother dying when he was young, uh, they couldn't afford to really to keep him in school. They tried to get him in on some scholarships. He had a cousin that was able to kind of put in a good word for him and get him a scholarship to get back into school, even though they couldn't afford it. But because he couldn't get his academics together uh, in those language studies, he would lose his scholarship. Kind of sad when you think about it. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that too terribly much. Yes, yeah, it's, it's nice that our high school career education isn't right. dependent on us learning Latin today. Right, yeah, I would be in, oh, oh man, I would be in so much trouble. <laughs> no longer going to school, he worked in his family's saddle shop. So day and night, he was working on leathers and fastening them into into saddle work. He didn't particularly like it. He wasn't particularly good at it, but that's that's what his that's what his life was at that point. He loved 
astronomy. That was kind of one area of, of schooling that he did pick up and really find a huge interest in. He would get really excited about astronomy books and he would save up a whole fortune to him what was a fortune just to buy one astronomy book and, and he would read it front to back over and over again. He'd love explaining the, the moon phases to his family and where comets would appear and disappear. It really intrigued him. Like I mentioned before, his mother passed away when he was young, probably around 10 or 11, it looks like. His father, by all accounts, seems to be a, a really good father, which is kind of kind of an oddity, kind of a yeah. rare thing on this show. A lot of times, it's usually the dad that's causing right. you know, some kind of rift, but in this situation, his dad seemed to be a good guy. Good guy, really supportive, and you know, he, he could see his son's potential. He could see that the, the saddle shop really wasn't suited for him. He wanted to send him off to school, but he couldn't because he, he just couldn't keep up academically. And he thought to send him to a printer's apprentice to, to learn how to work a print shop. But he was worried that his son would go off and, and fall in with a worldly crowd away from his family. So he eventually kind of worked it out where he could run a small neighborhood school. Uh, he was only 15, but he was teaching young kids what they needed to know. And, and I didn't really actually put this in the notes, but he actually got really good at teaching. By the end of the year, he had several adults in class, and he actually had teachers from neighboring schools coming to his class to learn how to be a teacher. And this all happened in the course of like a year. So he got pretty good at that, actually. Uh, but being away from his dad, he said he had this feeling that he could, in his words, dethrone God out of his heart and just live how he wanted to now. And this scared him. There was this fear at the idea that he would have pleasure living his own life away from God and church and everything he kind of already knew. So he borrowed some books from his dad, but he said he just kept feeling anxious. And eventually he remembered right on his 15th birthday, he was he was going to work that day and he just prayed. He said, God, you made me come to life this day 15 years ago. Please make me spiritually yours on this day now. Bring me to life that way. He kind of spent the whole day praying off and on. He got home that day, just was reading a whole lot out back and praying. And he said at some point he just felt this joyful acceptance, this kind of divine joy begin in his heart. And, and a change took place and he really felt at that point like no now i really know who god is yeah but he has this this account that he recalls uh, back in his childhood this regret that he has and again because we have his autobiography we can look through and kind of see exactly how he saw that event john dag was at church and the sunday school teacher got up and invited people to share what god was doing in their lives right you may have had you know a similar experience growing up where that where a teacher or a leader uh, get, open up's time for testimony time. You know, like, what is God doing in your life, right? And John Dagg was was nervous. He wanted to share, you know, wh how God was moving in him and, and how God was encouraging him, but he was scared to get up in front of everyone. He had a friend, a schoolmate, that was with him at the time, and he kind of made this internal deal with himself that if his schoolmate got up to share, then he would also get up to share. I don't know if, I, I feel like I, I've definitely, you know, like at a Bible camp growing yes. up, kind of had that similar inner no, monologue. I, like, I, I don't know, if you've ever been in a youth group, I feel like maybe you can kind of yeah. relate to this moment. Yeah, right? His buddy didn't go up to, to share, and John Dagg, reports feeling super relieved that you know he's off the hook now right because you made the deal with god and your buddy didn't go up to pre or to share so you don't have to exactly. either right uh as the sun school teacher was kind of wrapping up the the day the course there who do you know gets up to speak but his friend who at last minute has a change of heart and you know after all i do want to share something right and so John Dagg is left with this, you know, what is he going to do? His buddy got up to speak. That's the deal he made with God is that if his buddy gets up, he's going to speak too. But John Dagg doesn't. He chickens out 
and he goes home at the end of the day and uh, didn't share how God was working on him. And, you know, it, it's it's we talk about it now. And again, it's, maybe you've had a similar experience like that with that. I know I can relate with that, especially in my youth years. But this psychologically was something that John Dagg really points back to as something that he was really ashamed of and something that uh, was one of his biggest regrets. He regrets yeah, it, it, you know, and we have all these crazy speakers with these crazy lives, Hudson Taylor, Digibonoff, or all these guys in here. This moment doesn't seem big maybe compared to them, but I really related to it too. I feel like we all have been in that moment where we were like, yeah, I really wish I'd said something. He felt judged and worthy of God's judgment. Like he said, every time he picked up the Bible, every text stuck out to him that was talking about judgment. He felt like it was for him. He felt so much guilt and burden that he was just worthy of fire and just could not be saved. Like he couldn't profess the name of Christ when the time came. But he said he eventually, he kind of asked himself, he kept praying. He said, you know what? Who saved me, myself or God? And when he realized God had saved him before, he wasn't going to end up punished by this one sin of not professing. So he came to know God's grace and mercy better, trusted in him more when this was all said and done. Uh, but he promised, I'm going to avoid that mistake the next time it comes up. This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Shass, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss how evangelicalism has gotten tangled up in nationalism. We end up in positions where we take passages intended for Israel and apply them to America in ways that are not not good uh, exegesis. But also, I think then we end up in a position where we have to defend, we have to baptize the whole, especially early history of our country, because if it was founded on Christian values and God has to be defended and Christian values have to be defended, then we end up in a position where we either have to deny some of the atrocities very early in our country's history, or we have to say that those are Christian values. We have an ability in a unique system in which we have some democratic involvement in the, in the running of our country to hold it to account to what God says countries should be. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com. There's a lot to talk about in his life. He would eventually pretty much lose his eyesight. He would eventually be pretty much nearly crippled. Um, he would become one of the premier Southern Baptist Convention writers. He would write the first true systematic theology for the Southern Baptist Convention at the time. Uh, but I think what we really need to hit on before we listen to the sermon is 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 hit the controversy, um, and and that was his support of slavery. Yeah, we always hate to bring up these sore spots and uh, and bad moments in these great preachers' lives because they're so easy to to you can very easily look back in history and point out all the areas in which uh, people screwed up and people you know don't live their life uh, according to our standards. Here at Revive Thoughts, we're definitely of the mind that we want to give you all the facts. We want to give you the history. We don't want to sugarcoat anything from the past. Uh, some people from history don't made some mistakes, um, but we definitely believe that God can use broken people. He can use flawed people to do some pretty great stuff, and we definitely see that in John Dagg's life. Uh, but we need to say that he wrote a book called The Elements of Moral Science, uh, the book was published in 1859, and it would be pretty much the last uh, defense by Baptists of the Bible justifying slavery. He's not the only one, but it is the last one that, you know, the Civil War 1861 breaks out. This is the last big one that comes out. And, you know, that's not something most people probably that, that is a uh, it's a that, that's obviously a rough thing to have on your legacy. Our concern is not that you know the history. Our concern is that it distracts you from 
the truth that's in the sermons that that you hear. This sermon on eternity, John Dag, he pushes the idea that eternity is really the only thing of value in life and that we will regret having lived for anything other than God in eternity. This poor world is not the kind of home that a wise man would want to live in forever. The young and thoughtless expect to find happiness in it forever, but experience teaches that this expectation is vain and deluded. Disappointment, care, and sorrow form a large part of human life. As men approach the end of their life, they adopt the language of the patriarch Jacob. Few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. Genesis 47, 9. This sad experience results from the fact that God's curse rests on the world because it is full of sin. And what wise man would wish to live forever in a house that God has cursed? If this were the only world, then it would be all right for us to make the best of it. But we have abundant proof that another world exists, and a revelation from it has been made, by which we may learn how to obtain a home there one that will be full of unending happiness and will endure forever. We are called to relinquish our delusive hope of earthly good and lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. This one is sure and certain. We are called to give up our pursuit of the unsatisfying and short-lived pleasures of the present life and to seek the substantial and eternal joys of the life to come. It is certainly wise to obey this call. Another fact needs to be considered. Whether we want to or not, we are compelled to leave this world, and we will take up our eternal rest in another home, either one of joy or woe. Even if we had as much pleasure on this earth as possible, it would be momentary, and would not deserve a thought in comparison with eternal happiness and misery. We are rapidly passing through this world and on our way to our eternal home, whether while we are in this lodging place of wayfaring men, our comforts are few or many, is a matter of little importance. It is not worth the anxiety we feel towards this life constantly. It is extremely foolish to be unconcerned about the external world to which we are heading and where our condition will be fixed forever. There are some things in religion which are hard to understand and about which people are inclined to be skeptical. But is there anything as hard to believe that intelligent and immortal beings should make the things of this fleeting world their only care and give themselves no thought about eternity? If the fact were not daily before our eyes, who would believe it? If the Bible were to inform us that there are intelligent, immortal creatures in a remote planet who act with no care for eternity, we would accept a skeptic who chose not to believe it. But that book tells us of men, intelligent and immortal men, who are blinded by the God of this world. They are led captive by him at his will and do not consider their latter end, but instead rush on to destruction like the ox that goes to the slaughter. This testimony, which the Bible contains nothing harder to believe, is verified by the whole history of mankind. From this reigning folly, even Christian men are only partially delivered. Even they perpetually need the command, Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12.2. To preserve them from the fascinating power of things seen, which are temporary, they should look continuously at the things which are unseen and eternal. For this purpose, the doctrine concerning the future world is important to them. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, 4. 
And faith being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1, must lay hold on the realities of the invisible and future world. The doctrine concerning the future world teaches us to set a proper value on earthly good. If the honors of the world tempt us, let us remember, in the grave, the king and the poorest of his subjects will lie in the same level and mingle with the same dust, and that... In the resurrection, the noble of the earth that didn't seek the honor that comes from God will rise to shame and everlasting contempt. If the pleasures of the world bewitch us, let us think of them as the bait which Satan would ensnare our souls and lead us into everlasting torments. If our hearts incline at any time to covet, let us remember the rich man in hell, stripped of all his possessions and unable to procure a drop of water to cool his thirsty tongue. So... Let us keep eternity always in our view. In light of it, the honors, pleasures, and wealth of this world will lose their luster and cease to charm us. This doctrine concerning the future world teaches us how to bear the afflictions of life. The heaviest affliction that can crush the spirit here is far lighter than the weight of wrath which falls on the wicked in the world to come. Why then should a living man complain, a man who was destined for the punishment of his sins? Lamentations 3.39 So long as he still lives, not in torment and not in hell, his suffering, however serious, is inconceivably less than his sins deserve. Moreover, his afflictions, if endured with humble submission to God, are bending him toward holiness. Though light and momentary, they work out for him a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 With eternity in view, The heaviest and most excruciating anguish of this life appears light and momentary. We can rejoice to endure it because of the glorious rewards which it will produce in the eternal world. This doctrine concerning the future world teaches us the value of faith. Learning and talent, agreeable manners, and amiable disposition are all worthy to be prized, but they do not secure eternal blessedness. True religion is the one thing needful the good part that will never be taken from us. Luke 10.42 Let sinners despise religion and curl the lip with scorn when you speak of its claim on their life. But even they, when eternity comes calling, learn the value of what they once despised. With eternity in view, how precious is religion, how precious the Bible which teaches it. This doctrine endears Christ to believers. He is precious for what he is in himself. But this preciousness is enhanced by the consideration that it is he who delivers us from the wrath to come. He who is preparing a place for us in the world of bliss. And he who will come and take us to himself and forever lead us to the fountains of living waters in that land of ever-flowing delight. This doctrine comforts us through the loss of Christian friends. We follow them to the tomb, and our tears flow freely. But we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. They are not lost to us, but have only gone home before us. And we are waiting to be sent for, when it is the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. Our separation from them is short, for we are quickly approaching our journey's end. Then we will join them again, and never again part ways." This doctrine enables the Christian to meet death with joy. When a man repents of sin and believes in Christ, he is prepared to die safely, but he may nevertheless, through the weakness of his faith, be afraid to die. 
To meet death without fear requires strong faith in Christ as the Savior of sinners. To meet death with joy requires strong faith in the doctrine concerning the future world. When we can stand like Moses on Pisgah's top and view the good land in all its beauty, then our hearts will leap forward and we will strongly desire to go over the Jordan and possess it. We long to join the happy company who dwells forever in the presence of our God. Oh, to be free from sin as they are, to behold the face of Jesus as they get to, to partake of their bliss and unite in their everlasting hallelujahs. Listener, what are your prospects in the future world? Have you received the love of the truth that you may be saved? Does the truth as it is in Jesus enter your heart with sanctifying power? Are you daily striving by a holy life to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things? If goods have value, remember the rich man in hell, he's with nothing right now. This was a tough thing to hear. It's not pleasant. But the truth is, nothing on this earth compares with eternity. And eternity in hell will be regretted the instant one is there. And no life, no matter how good, spent chasing sin will compare to eternity in the wrong place. And likewise, all the suffering on earth, no matter how bad it is, and look, you may have a very tough life, I don't know you, but it will be replaced in just an instant when the Father looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. So let us live with the right idea in mind and let us take God's word seriously when it tells us to really count the days and time. Dag says it early on, you have to be crazy to live for anything else other than eternity. If you know that time will never end in one direction, it's based on your actions right now, you would literally have to be insane to put anything between you and eternity. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by John Renard. John is a commercial radio announcer in the American Samoa since 2006, where he lives with his wife, Alice, and his four children. They attend Grace Peace Fellowship Bible Church there. While John works at a secular radio station, he starts every morning show with the devotion out of the Solomon Proverbs, which I think is pretty cool. That is really cool. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts on Eternity and it made you think about, you know, the actions you're taking today. We would love to hear from you. If you have some feedback, encouragement, let us know. You can send it in to us at revivethoughts.gmail.com. You can send it in to us on our Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter. We'll respond there or just, you know, post it directly to us. It'll leave us a, a rating somewhere. We, we want to hear from you and, and hear what's going on there. Also, uh, we highly encourage you to check out our Patreon page. Uh, Joel and I are hard at work at a new Revive Thoughts deep dive that we hope will be coming out yeah. in the middle of June or so. It's going to be very exciting. We, we've got a lot of ideas and research going into that. Uh, you're also going to get access to a bookmark personally signed by Joel sure. and myself. Uh, all you know, you get access to the behind the mic uh, episodes, the full episode there. Ad free feed. And an ad-free feed. No advertisements, nothing there. Revive thoughts, ad-free. So That's my go-to uh, That's my go-to bullet point on that list because I hate ads. I don't mind them, so there's no big deal to me, but hey. Uh, so you get all those things, and we are constantly working on more. And, of course, you can also subscribe to Revive Devos, our new show that will tell you about devotionals from the past. So we highly recommend you check all this out. And your Patreon is only $3 a month, so you can get started there for $3. Yeah, it won't always be 3 but it's currently still. It's three. currently yeah. three for a while. <laughs> All right, guys. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.
This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Schess, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss Christian political involvement and some of the false gospels incorporated in evangelicalism. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com.